Hello, Blackhawk Church. My name is Daniel Owen, and I'm the lead pastor at Blackhawk Fitchburg. Hello, Fitchburg peeps. I miss you guys. And in fact, we miss seeing all of you here at Blackhawk Church. But we're excited for the fact that we can able to, we're still able to connect uh, together through this uh, platform. In fact, I think we've created another venue. I think we've created Blackhawk Your Home. So if you're in your PJs right now, then you are properly dressed, all right? You are properly dressed. In fact, we have a number of communities here, and I do want to say welcome and hi to them. Hey, welcome to our Chinese uh, venue. Welcome to those who are part of Gospel uh, Fusion, as well as Traditions, and those in the live venues, as well as the community uh, downtown, and our B-Kids community. Uh, we love you guys, as well as our student We love you students, and we're so glad that you are with us today. Now, one of the things that we do realize is that a number of you might be new and joining us for the very first time, and we are so glad that you're here, and we are hoping that this is a great experience uh, for you. So please continue to join us uh, every Sunday or every time that we are able to offer these, uh, these services online. What I'd like to do right now is go ahead and introduce to you someone who's not only a friend of mine, but someone I just love being able to work with. Uh, her name is Carol Fricky. She's Director of Connection, as well as she hosts uh, the live venue from time to time. Hey, Carol. Hey, Daniel. Thanks. Welcome, everybody. We are so glad you're here for week three of our online church experience. Here we are. We might not be able to be together in a physical space, but we are still together and we still get to worship the same great God together. So we are just excited to start our time together. Now, there's a few ways that you can engage with the service. So I'd like to share those with you right now. First of all, we have tabs at the top of the screen. There's a chat tab. Go ahead and jump on there. Tell us your name. Give a shout out to what venue or site you uh, attend. And then you can do whatever you'd like to interact with other people on the chat. Say hello to your life group members. Say hello to other group members of ministries that you're involved in. Just interact. It has been so fun to watch the banter of people engaging in the chat sessions together. So do that. And then also something else that you need to know is that there are staff on the chat as well. They have hosts next to their name. There's a bunch of staff that are there. They are there if you want to ask questions, but they're also there if you would like to request prayer. And the way you do that, on the bottom of your screen, there's a button that says request prayer. And you just hit that. And when you do, one of our staff members will take your chat to a private chat offline, and there they can listen to you and they can pray for you. And so they are just waiting to do that. And we really would just encourage you to embrace that opportunity. We are going through really challenging, hard times. And so just request prayer. There will be somebody there that would be happy to do that with you. And then there's two other tabs you can engage with. There's one that says notes that will have some things about the sermon going on there. And then there's also a tab that says Bible that you could follow along on the Bible there if you'd like to either during the service or also after the service. So we are excited to do this together. Yeah, that's right. Now, a little bit later in this service, we are going to be actually offering a time of communion. Now, of course, that is going to be different because we're going to be doing communion in our homes. And so uh, there will be some explaining of what that will look like. Hopefully you were able to get the email this past week where it said, hey, get some crackers or some bread and some juice ready. And in fact, we want to encourage you to go ahead and do that because Charles is going to introduce the time of communion in the message. And that way you'll have uh, the elements there uh, for you. Now, if you're someone who's not familiar with uh, communion or you're not sure you're comfortable taking it in your home, that's okay. Charles will move towards that as well. You know, we are in unique, a unique season 
in here, of course, uh, but we're really glad we're able to connect this way. Our hope is that this service is something that not only you can dive into and engage in, but it will help you grow uh, spiritually. And I know we can't meet in the same room, but we are meeting together. What I'd like to do right now is go ahead and introduce Martha and Travis. They're going to lead us in worship. Well, welcome again, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for inviting us into a part of your day. We're excited to be with you in your homes while we can't be together. And this uh, opening worship set that we have, we've just chosen songs that speak about the trust that we can have in Christ. And so this first song says, you can be trusted in all of your ways. So wherever you are right now, whatever you're feeling, we want this to be something that you can sing out that you can trust God in his wisdom, in his strength, in his power. You can trust that he sees you, that he is in this with you, and that he will meet you in the middle of this really challenging time. So follow Travis as he leads us. Sing mighty in battle. Mighty in battle, perfect in love. Awesome and wonder, faithful and just Matchless in mercy, wisdom and strength You can be trusted in all of your ways We're singing Saints 
sing your name is worthy of praise gift and a privilege to be gathered all around our city and our world worshiping God together right now. And we just want to proclaim God's faithfulness, his goodness through all generations together as a community. While the world is crumbling in chaos and reacting in fear, we say we find our footing in the faithfulness and the promises of God. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Jesus, we look to you now. We lean into that promise. We say your love is a covenant trustworthy and true are all your ways. We say yes to you, Jesus.
Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you for being our good, good Father, our holy God, the creator of the universe, our God who is still in control so we can trust you. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you because indeed all worship and glory and honor are yours. Thank you for the chance to do that in music. Thank you for the chance to do that as we get into your word in just a minute. And thank you, God, for the opportunity to still have communion 
as a community, even though it's going to look different. God, we pray that you will open our minds and our hearts so that we can hear what it is that you would like to share with us as individuals and as a corporate community of your people. God, would you help us to open our hands to be willing to rethink the way we do things, to think differently about even familiar things. God, will you help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to continue to be beacons of light, sharing the hope of your son, Jesus. And may we trust you and give all the glory to you. And may all of this be done in your son's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, if you are just joining us right now, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Before we continue, I do just want to share with parents and caregivers that the content of the message today and next week is not really that great for kids. So we encourage you to hop on to Blackhawk Kids Online. You can do that right now. The B Kids team has just done an amazing job putting together a Sunday video experience for kids, but also for their families. You can worship together, you can hear Bible teaching together, and then you can see how you can continue that lesson throughout the week as a family. And this week, kids are learning about forgiveness, which is something that I think we could all work on. So we hope you check out B Kids. And now, right at this time during the service, what we usually do is we take a moment to say hello and greet people that are here with us, which we obviously can't do right now, but we can do it in a different way. So we encourage you right now, hop onto that chat, say hello to those that are there. And then if you haven't done so, go ahead and take this moment right now to grab your bread, your crackers, your juice, whatever it is you're going to use for communion in the service. Carol, I just want to join you in just saying a shout out to our B-Kids and our B-Kids teams. That content is so good. So uh, good. Last week, uh, my sons are uh, six, or excuse me, five and seven years old, and they just really loved it. They mm -hmm. loved being a part of that. So if that's you, man, I can't encourage you more to check that out. Uh, before we get into the message, I just want to mention a couple of things. Uh, it, even though we physically can't get together, we are still your church. And we still want to be the church uh, together. So I want to turn your attention to our homepage at blackhawkchurch.org. There are three buttons right, uh, right in the beginning as you get on the homepage. And those three buttons are this. They're care resources, give now, and impact. And what we want to do as a church is still be able to come around each other even though we can't be together. So there are things you can do beyond services. Take, for example, the care resources. We realize that there are people who would like to have prayer or maybe need additional support. And we want to encourage you to go online, go to the care resource page, and fill out a simple form so that we can respond. We want to lean into that and lean on each other during this time. Now, that may mean we get you in connection with somebody at our church, but it may mean we also connect you with someone in the broader Madison area. We also just want to say thank you to the many of you who have adjusted to giving online. We know that was a change, but many of you have already done that. We just want to say thank you so much uh, for doing it. That really, really matters. And if you're a part of Blackhawk Church, you consider this your church home, and you would like to give, you can go uh, to blackhawkchurch.org and hit that Give Now uh, button. And lastly, I want to mention the impact page and what we want to do as a church in impact. I realize I've heard it from a number of people that how can I help? What can I do? And that impact page is going to direct you in the way to do that. We love this city. 
Now, our spring event that we've done every year, Love Madison, is not something we're going to be able to do this year, but really that's okay. That was one day. We actually want to love this city every day and in many different ways, and the impact page will help guide in the ways uh, that we can do that. So please join us uh, in, in different ways of engaging our community by simply just going to our homepage and clicking one of those three things. We as a church want to make sure and come around each other during this time. Yeah, all great resources, and there are so many practical ways that we can still love our neighbor even right now and then plan for the future as well, so exciting stuff. One last thing, finally, for students and families with older kids, we are so excited to share with you that Blackhawk Students Online is going to kick off this week. So it's going to be an opportunity for students to have a large group teaching time and then virtual home groups, which is going to just be so Awesome. So whether you've been a part of our middle school ministry or our high school ministry or not, we would love all of you students to jump in and get involved with this really cool opportunity to be a community of students and leaders together. So we hope that you'll get engaged with that. All the details are on our website. All right. Why don't we now hear from Pastor Charles as we jump back into the book of Mark and dig in to chapter 14. Hi, everybody. Man, we've been through a lot, haven't we? <laughs> it's a couple, just a week or two. It feels like a long time, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. And, uh, you know, in times like this, I have a tendency to look for silver linings. And, and one of the silver linings, for me anyway, is the opportunity to learn about new concepts, new phrases that I never heard before. You know, phrases like community spread or flattening the curve. Uh, now, I am not a you know, health professional. You know, a month ago, if somebody said to me, hey, Charles, we need to flatten the curve, I'd be like, well, are you saying I need to exercise so I can flatten my curve? No, no seriously here. Um, if you don't know the phrase flatten the curve, um, you should look it up. It's a pretty important phrase. It it's, explains why so many of us are sheltering in our homes and why we're streaming this worship service. Now, don't worry. I am not up here to talk about public health, but I do bring this up because a phrase like flattening the curve refers to a complex concept. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in just those three words. And now we toss it around now. We use it all the time. Uh, that's because we've been educated on it. We, we've been taught by this by public health professionals. But a month ago, if a doctor had went on television and said, hey, we need to flatten the curve, I think most of us would be like, what? What are you saying? And we wouldn't understand what he's saying. We'd probably ignore what he's saying. And um, we'd be all miss the point. The Bible is like that sometimes. There are passages in the Bible where, where the biblical author would use a word or phrase that refers to a complex concept. And um, if we don't understand that concept, we would completely miss the point. The passage we're looking at today is one of those passages. The passage we're looking at today is about communion, about Lord's Supper, and yet in the story, there is a word that refers to a complex concept, and if we don't understand that concept, we're going to miss the point. Before I keep going, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet everybody who's watching right now and listening to my voice, whether you're around Dane County or in you know, Wisconsin, you know, from across our country or around the world. Uh, to the Chinese speakers uh, listening, 弟兄姐妹平安, 
uh, and to everyone, we welcome you. Welcome, and welcome being here. Welcome you joining us. Um, this is our third time doing this live streaming thing of our worship service. And, um, and we're going to try something today for the very first time. We've never done this before. We are going to do communion together. And so as, as Carol mentioned earlier, if you can have your, um, you know, your bread and your, and your grape juice kind of juice nearby somewhere where you can you know, get your hands on pretty easily, that would be great. And if you're uncomfortable at all with this idea, Please feel free to just observe. It's totally okay. We understand. We're trying to do something new here. It's a little, it's a little different. And so we ask for patience because we don't know how it's going to work out, and we ask for grace. Now, we are in the middle of our second season of our series on the Gospel of Mark called Unexpected King, a really quick summary of where we are so far. Uh, in the story, God sent his son Jesus to, among first century Jews to tell them that, hey, what they've been yearning for is finally here. All right? God, the creator God of the universe, is finally working in our world to reestablish his kingdom on earth through a new Jewish king called the Messiah and who will one day rule the world. The problem? This kingdom that Jesus proclaims is extremely different from what the people expect. And the king of this kingdom is extremely different from what the people expect. So now we're in the final section of this book. We are in Jerusalem. We're in the final week of Jesus' life. And for the past three chapters, chapters 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, it's been Jesus versus the temple. In chapter 11, Jesus symbolically curses and destroys the temple. In chapter 12, he verbally dismantles the, the, the temple. He destroys the legitimacy of the temple establishment. And in chapter 13, Jesus predicts the physical destruction of the temple. And that brings us to today's passage, Mark chapter 14. And, uh, and this is a passage that we're really familiar with. It's about communion. It's about the Lord's Supper. I mean, everybody knows about this. Leonardo da Vinci did this famous painting called The Last Supper. And because it's so famous, we have a tendency to just kind of grab the passage and read it on its own. And so today I want to do something a little different. I, what I want to do is I want to put this passage back into the story of the Gospel of Mark. Put it right back into the storyline. It's Mark chapter 14. So what's in Mark 13 again? Okay, you can yell it out to the screen right now. It's not weird at all. Go ahead. Okay. It's Jesus predicting the destruction of the temple. First century readers of Mark would have all kinds of questions about this. They'd be like, wait a minute. Okay, we get that the temple is corrupt, but do we need to destroy it? Why don't we just reform it? Why don't we just fix it? I mean, this sounds kind of crazy. What are we going to do without a temple? Where is God's presence with his people going to be? Where do we do sacrifices? Where do we do prayer? How do we receive forgiveness and mercy? Where is God's people going to gather together? All kinds of questions the first century readers of the Gospel of Mark would have, but would not enter into our minds because we haven't had a temple for 2,000 years. Well, Mark chapter 14 actually answers those questions. And uh, if we dig a little deeper. So um, let's do that. If you have your Bible or your Mark journal, uh, let's, look, let's begin reading Mark chapter 14. Now, Mark 14 begins with just a beautiful story about this woman who, uh, who pours a jar of perfume on Jesus' head as a way to prepare his body for burial. Now, I don't want to get into the, st the story. We don't have time, except to notice that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. 
This is the event that triggers Judas making a decision to betray Jesus. Beginning in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Oh, they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And then we have the story of preparation for the Passover feast. Verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Okay, so what is that passage about? Well, I think the feeling you might be getting is, whoa, this feels kind of cloak and dagger. Like we're in the middle of a Cold War spy novel. You know, go to the town square in Bucharest and, and look for a guy carrying a newspaper with a red rose in his lapel. Well, in this case, this case actually, is to go in the city and find a man carrying a jar of water. Now, that sounds really vague until we realize that in first century Palestine, only women carry jars of water. Men don't do this. So basically, disciples walk around the city, run into the guy, the one guy who's carrying a jar of water. That's the guy. That's the signal. Now follow him to a house. Once you get in there, you have your own code word. You have your own password you need to say. You need to say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? See, that allows them to know, oh, you're disciples of Jesus. What is this communicating? What is it Mark saying about this? I think the feeling we should be picking up is there's a sense of danger, right? This is, this is all hush-hush, right? Jesus is planning all this stuff, all this machination, because the circles are closing in around him. The trap is about to be sprung. It's dangerous. It's tense. It's suspenseful. The exhilaration in the temple is long gone now. Now there is just danger. Jesus wants to eat a dinner uninterrupted, and uh, suspense, tension, and that sense of danger heightens, starting in verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Somebody close to Jesus will betray him. One of the twelve will betray Jesus. The sense of danger has entered into the inner core, to the inner circle, and his followers, they are sad, they are discouraged, they are confused, and as events will prove, when everything falls apart, they will betray Jesus. They will deny knowing him. They will abandon him. The unexpected kingdom is on the verge 
of falling apart. And into this atmosphere of stress, fear, anxiety, betrayal, comes the story of the Lord's Supper. Verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you've been around churches at all, you are very familiar with that passage, right? This is the passage where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist. But notice, Jesus doesn't call what he's doing Lord's Supper, communion, or Eucharist. He doesn't use any of those terms. Rather, Jesus uses one particular word to talk about what's going on. And that word shows up in verse 24, right? He says, this is my blood of the covenant. That's the key word, covenant. That word refers to a complex concept in the Old Testament. And if we don't understand the word covenant, we don't understand what Jesus is doing. Now, here's the problem. Jesus doesn't explain the word covenant. But that's because his disciples, they all knew what the Old Testament has to say about covenant. Well, Mark also doesn't explain the word covenant. Because Mark's readers, first century Christ followers in Rome, they all read the Old Testament and they all understand what the Old Testament has to say about covenant. So for us, if we want to read Mark 14, we need to understand covenant. So let's get started with that. The first thing we need to learn about covenant is that it is one of the most central critical concepts in the Bible. The word covenant, um, if you look at in Hebrew, um, it's the word berit, and it gets translated into Greek as diatheke, and it goes into Latin as testamentum, which, from which we get the English word testament, as in Old Testament and New Testament. Did you catch that? The concept of covenant is so crucial that the early church decided to name the first and the second part of the Bible Old Covenant and New Covenant. So, what is covenant in the ancient world? Well, here's the definition. A covenant, in its normal sense, is an elected as opposed to natural relationship of obligation under oath. Wow, that just sounds very academic. So let me, let me see if I can unpack that, okay? So first, a covenant is a relationship. A covenant is a relationship. Now, people have a tendency to, com- to, to, to confuse covenants with contracts. A covenant is not a contract. A contract is I do A, you do B, it's a quid pro quo, and when we both parties have fulfilled our obligations, then we say goodbye from each other. Okay. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is a relationship, and not just any relationship, a covenant is a long-term relationship of mutual love, respect, loyalty, protection, and friendship. Number two. A covenant is an elected, not natural Relationship. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's very simple. It simply means a covenant is the relationship that you choose. 
which means you can't be in covenant with your brothers or sisters or your parents because you already have a relationship with them. A covenant is something is a relationship that you consciously choose to commit to. So let's say you have a best friend who's not a member of your family, and you commit to be friends with each other. Are you in a covenant relationship? Well, that depends. Number three, a covenant is a relationship of obligation. Okay, that simply means that in this relationship, there are clear things that you're supposed to do and the other person is supposed to do to express that we want to stay in relationship to each other. So let's say you and your best friend start a business together. Well, then working hard in that business, taking on the responsibility of that business is a way to express your commitment to each other. Um, buying chocolate and flowers for Valentine's Day, it's kind of like a covenant obligation. It's a way to express to our significant other that yes, we would like to stay in this relationship. So, so far, nothing very big there, right? Nothing earth-shattering. Uh, a covenant is a relationship of love and intimacy and friendship and loyalty. Um, it's something we choose. It has explicit obligations. Okay, all normal stuff. Well, it is the fourth element that makes covenant in the ancient, in ancient world so serious. And here's number four. A covenant is a relationship under oath. Or more clearly, a covenant begins with an initiation ritual that invokes the gods via an oath. I think I can make this clear by, by using an example. So, uh, Let's say you're, you know, for those of you who are older, you're back in college, and you're younger, you're going off to college, and those of you who are college, you're in college. Imagine you're in college, and, uh, and you have some friends who are all Christ followers, and you're thinking, hey, let's all live together and live in a community of mutual love and, and, and encouragement. That'd be so awesome. So you find an apartment together, and then you, on the first day, you, know, you all move in, your books, your, your desk, your beds, all the books, it all gets in there. And that evening, you gather around the common area and you say, hey, this is going to be a great community of mutual love and encouragement. That's the core. That's the relationship. So what about the obligation? Well, who's going to do what chores, when, and how often? How do we keep the common areas clean? How long can dishes stay in the sink? Right? And you get all of that worked out. Well, at this point, you still don't have a covenant. So at this point, you bring in a live chicken and you kill it, you drain the blood, and all of you drink the chicken blood, and you swear an oath that says, if we do not clean toilets on a regular basis, may God kill us like this chicken. And at that point, you have a covenant. Covenant is serious business. Today, the closest thing we have to a covenant, it's like a, what's it? marriage, right? Marriage is a committed relationship that we choose, and it starts with a covenant initiation ceremony, something that we called a wedding. And in Christian marriage, uh, we, invoke, we use vows to invoke God's blessing on our weddings. However, I've never heard vows like, if I don't take out the trash on Wednesdays, may God slice me up like the cake we're about to cut open. Marital vows invoke the blessings and curses of God because covenant is serious business. So that's covenant in the ancient world. Let me summarize. And, and you should be able to memorize this, okay? This is, this is, this, you'll be able to memorize this. Very easy stuff. A covenant is a relationship that you choose with obligations and, and an initiation ritual that involves animal sacrifice. 
And if you are part of this covenant, what happens is your fate and your life is joined with that dead animal. And if you break covenant, you will be punished like that animal. Covenant is serious business in the ancient world. So that's covenant. How does the concept of covenant fit into the story of the Bible? Well, the first thing we need to learn is that our God, He establishes relationship with people by using covenants. He is a covenant-making God. Now, this is huge, people. This is huge. What this says is that our God is highly relational. He is highly relational. He is all about making these long-term committed relationships with people of mutual intimacy, love, friendship, loyalty, protection. This is who he is. This is what he's about. He is a covenant-making God. And, and the phrase Old Testament or Old Covenant refers to one such covenant that God made with ancient Israel. About 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, God rescued a people out of Egypt, and he brought them to the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula. And there he met them. And there they made promises to each other. God promised to be their God. And they promised to be God's people. That's your relationship right there. Obligations? Well, God promised that he's going to be with them, that his presence is with them. He's going to live in this tent among them. That tent eventually becomes the temple. Okay, so temple is part of the old covenant. He also promised to give them a piece of land and that he will protect them in that piece of land. And in return, the people promised that they're going to organize their society. They're going to live in a way that reveals God's character to help God woo a rebellious world back to him. And then there is the covenant initiation ceremony. They killed a bunch of bulls and they sprinkled the blood on people as a way of saying, hey guys, if you break the covenant, you die like these bulls. Well, if you know the story of the Old Testament, ancient Israel broke the covenant. Now, some people say, oh, it's because the Old Testament laws are too many and too complicated. You can't possibly keep them all. No, that is not what happened. Ancient Israel broke the covenant because they broke the core of the covenant. They started worshiping other gods. They stopped being the people of God. And after generations of unfaithfulness, generations of betrayal, God, and after God sending prophets after prophets after prophets to remind them of their promise, to remind them of the covenant they made with God and promising mercy and forgiveness, they would turn back. Finally, God had enough. And so he took away his protection and he drove his people out of the land he gave them. And that's how the old covenant comes to an end. And that is this dominant storyline of the first two-thirds of our Bible. But that's not where the story ends. The prophets that God sent to the ancient Israel, they keep repeating this one idea, that this is not the end. God is still working. God is going to do something that's coming up. One of those prophets, his name is Jeremiah. In chapter 31, Jeremiah says this. The days are coming declares Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. There is going to be a new covenant. Ancient Israel broke the old one. There's going to be a new one. And, and, and it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors 
when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. And here you see God sees the covenant as a marriage relationship, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a husband to ancient Israel. They're supposed to be my spouse, and they were unfaithful. They broke away. So how is this new covenant going to be different? Well, difference number one. Um, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So this is the new one, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. In the old covenant, the laws are written on tablets. And the people, they had to be taught these laws, and they struggled to learn it. So, so what happens is they had to create all these rules, all these kind of external symbols and practices like food and clothing, all kinds of rules to help reminding, to remind people, hey, we're the people of God, we're the people of God. And even then they failed. In the new covenant, God says, I'm going to write the laws on the people's hearts. Okay? The Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell the people of God to transform our hearts so that we become a people who know God's law directly and we are motivated to follow God's laws. That's the first big difference. Second big difference. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know Yahweh, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In the old covenant, there are these prophets and there are these priests, and they're going around telling people, hey guys, get to know God, get to know God. And the rest of the people are like, oh, we don't really show what's going on here. We're going to the temple, we're doing sacrifices, but we're really unclear about what's actually all happening. God says in the new covenant, there will not be this difference between priests and prophets and people. There will not be this difference between the religious leaders and everybody else. There will just be the one people of God. Every single person in the new covenant will have a direct person-to-person relationship with God. Every single person will know God. They don't have to go through anybody else. That's the vision. That's what the New Testament is, new covenant is all about. And everything I said so far, we're supposed to have in, in, in our, the back of our head when we start reading Mark chapter 14. And as we read Mark 14, we hit this verse, verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant, and we go, whoa, whoa, this is momentous, this is huge. Okay, we get it now. Jesus is saying the time of the new covenant is here. I'm starting the new covenant right now. And what is the new covenant about? Number one, the new covenant is a committed relationship of love and loyalty between God and the church. It's all about getting to know God and learning to, learning to love him and to trust him. Number two, the new covenant is God's invitation to the whole world. Okay, anybody, anybody who put their trust in Jesus, anybody who says to Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, you are automatically part of the new covenant. It's an invitation to everyone. Number three, the people of the new covenant are God's partners on a mission. God is on a mission. 
God is on a mission to redeem the world. God is on a mission to rescue the world from corruption, from death, from violence. And he's calling together a people who will live in such a way that they will reveal God's character so that people go, oh, look at those people. They're awesome. Oh, wow, they worship an awesome God. I want to get to know that God. Finally, the Lord's Supper is the initiation ritual of the new covenant. You know, that, that pieces of bread, that, that, that grape juice, the wine that Jesus is doing, that starts the new covenant. Now, some of you may have already noticed there's something missing here. Something has gone off. Where's the dead chicken, you ask? Where are the dead bulls? Where is the sacrificed animal that seals the blessing and curses of the new covenant? Well, verse 24 again. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus is talking about his blood. Jesus is talking about his death on the cross, which is going to happen within 24 hours after this meal. Now, you probably heard a lot of different explanations about the cross, and that's because the Bible offers multiple explanations of the cross. In the Gospel of Mark, the primary way we understand the cross is that it is part of the initiation ritual of the new covenant. The death of Jesus is the sacrifice that seals the new covenant. Now, what does that mean? Well, two things, two absolutely critical things. Number one, remember, when we join a covenant, when we take part in a covenant initiation ritual, our lives are bound up with the sacrificed animal, right? If when we break covenant, we die like that animal. Well, in the new covenant, we're, our lives are not tied to an animal. Our lives are entwined with Jesus. Did you get that? Our lives, our fate, are united with Jesus. And Jesus really just makes this point crystal clear when he says, hey, my body, eat this. My blood, drink this. We cannot miss the, 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 the spiritual reality that underlies the symbolic act. We have the blood and flesh of Jesus in us. We have Jesus in us. We have his life. We have his spirit in us. We have the power of his resurrection in us. We have his spirit helping us to keep covenant with God. That's the first thing. Second thing, when we fail to keep covenant, and we have and we will, when we fall short of doing the obligations of the covenant, of, of loving God and loving others, that invokes the curses of the covenant. But because this covenant is sealed by the blood of Jesus, Jesus bears the curses of our failures. In however way we fail and come up short in living out the covenant, Jesus has borne the punishment on the cross. This is as one-sided of a covenant as it gets. We get all the blessings. Jesus gets all the curses. So, so when Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, what he's really saying is, I will empower you to keep covenant and I will pay the price when you fail. I got this. This 
is the new covenant. And, when, and Jesus initiates this new covenant right after predicting the destruction of the temple. Why? Because you don't need the temple anymore, right? Temple represents the presence of God with his people. Well, the people of God are now united with Jesus. Everywhere we go, God is. We are never separated from God. We don't need a temple anymore. Anywhere we go, we can pray, we can receive mercy and forgiveness anywhere, anytime. And Jesus initiates the new covenant in the middle of danger, of threats, of anxiety and fear. And in a way, communion, this is the perfect backdrop for communion. Well, maybe not for us. We, we like to spiritualize things. We, we like our religious rituals to be, you know, to have a sense of transcendence, you know, choir music in the background, an air of solemn sanctity. Jesus, he's doing communion in somebody's home, hiding from the authorities with a traitor in their midst. And Jesus says, right now, I'm starting the new covenant. Why? Because this covenant, this new, new relationship, this new way of being is God's ultimate tool to transform the world. It can handle anything. It can handle any stress, any danger, any upheaval, any pandemic. Because it is sealed by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. I want to move us into a time of communion right now. And I know this might feel weird for many of you. Um, you know, we're so used to doing communion in, in a certain way. You know, we, we gather together in large groups. We, we're in a building that's kind of dedicated for worship. So this is a change, and this is uncomfortable. And if you don't feel right about this, no, I just want to say, hey, we totally understand. Feel free to observe. Feel free to pray along with us. Totally okay. But I do want to say something about change. Um, right now, we do communion together, a lot of people together, large groups. But when Jesus did communion the first time, it probably like less than 20 people. We do it in buildings that are dedicated for worship. Jesus did it in somebody's home, probably in a room low, not much bigger than your living room. Um, we do communion either sitting down or standing up. Uh, Jesus, well, they were lying on the floor doing communion. Those of you who are lying on the couch right now, your body posture is actually quite similar to the people at the first Lord's Supper. Change, right? We change how we do things over the 2,000 years, and, and there's, this is another change. This is different. So uh, we move forward, and we don't know how it's going to work, but we, but we move forward. So I, I ask that you make sure you have your, your, your bread and your uh, juice somewhere close by, somewhere you can get your hands on, maybe something you look at. And I, I just want to say, I really wanted us to do communion together today because it is entirely appropriate that we do communion together in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis because we need to be reminded that the new covenant is more powerful than any stress any upheaval, any pandemic, because it is based on the power and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We need to renew our covenant with God right here, right now.
So I ask you to close your eyes, um, calm your thoughts, and just listen to my voice. Take a deep breath you like, let it out. Because it's so easy for us to take religious rituals and turn them into just, just that, rituals. Religious things that we do. I want us to make sure that we know what we're doing. So let's remember, this is a covenant initiation ritual or a covenant renewal ritual. We're saying we want to be the people of God. And furthermore, we're committing to this common mission that we have with God. We and God, together, we have this goal, this mission to establish His reign in our lives and on earth. I want you to meditate on that right now. Think about that. Ask yourself, is that what I'm about? Am I really committed to this? Why don't you spend some time and talk to God about this? I'm going to ask you to open your eyes now, and I want you to turn your gaze toward the bread or the crackers you have and, 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 the, and the cup of juice you have that's close to you. Just, just look at it. And as you're doing that, I want you to remember that the bread and the juice, they symbolize the flesh and blood of Jesus. And that in eating and drink, drinking, it's the flesh and the body of Jesus in us. It's Christ in us. We have him everywhere we go. We have him everywhere we go. We have the power of his resurrection working in our lives to transform us, to remake us into who we're meant to be. And when we fail, the curse of the covenant falls on him. So I ask you to meditate on that. Maybe give thanks to Jesus for his sacrifice and then talk to God about your desire for transformation. I'll give you some time.
when we eat this bread and drink the juice, we are actually, through our actions, swearing an oath. We're saying, yes, I want to be part of the covenant. Yes, I belong to the people of God. And yes, I am committed to be with God on this mission to redeem the world. And by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, I hereby join or renew my covenant with God. Let's do that together right now. So pick up your piece of bread or cracker. Verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Let's eat it together to begin this covenant with Jesus. Take up the cup. Verse 23. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Let's drink from the cup to seal the covenant with the blood of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, you are a covenant-making God. You want to make relationships with us. We want to get to know you. Maybe we're a little scared about that as well. We're not sure how it's all going to work. What we're grateful is that you have sent your son Jesus to show us all that. And you have created this new covenant for us to enter into so that we can step before you without fear, full confidence in your love for us, and we can rest in that love as we begin or continue a journey with you as your people, and you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
In the heartbeat of my life Is to worship in your light Cause your glory is so beautiful Cause your glory is so beautiful Jesus. 
It is good that we are able to be together in this way. I want to say thank you for joining us uh, for services today. If you are currently in a chat with someone, I just want to give you a heads up. You have about 10 more minutes or so uh, for that chat to take place. But as we close the service today, I guess I want to share just a, a couple things. First off, maybe today by listening to this message, you thought to yourself, you know what? I want to be in that kind of relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to connect with someone through that chat uh, right now. A relationship with Jesus is not like a specific type of prayer. It's not a specific type of thing you need to do. It's really about placing your faith and your trust in Him. We would love to be able to have that conversation uh, with you. So please, I encourage you to have that conversation with someone on the chat uh, right now. But as we close our time, I just want to say personally how thankful I am for the new covenant. I am so thankful for this new covenant because it means in the midst of a time and a season like this where, where fear and anxiety and stress can weigh heavy on our hearts, we are not alone because wherever we are, God is with us. And what that means is that we're never too far. We're never too far to receive his grace, to receive his help, to receive his strength, and to receive his comfort. The new covenant means that wherever we are, God is with us. May this encourage us all this coming week. Blessings to you and your family.